1 Samuel 16, verse number 14, it's a sad verse that we begin with. It says, the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. And Saul's servant said to him, behold now, a harmful spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is skillful in playing the lyre. And when the harmful spirit from God is upon you, he will play it and you will be well. So Saul said to his servants, provide for me a man who can play well and bring him to me. One of the young men answered, behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech and a man of good presence. And the Lord is with him. Therefore, Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, send me David, your son, who is with the sheep. And Jesse took a donkey laden with bread and a skin of wine and a young goat and sent them by David, his son, to Saul. And David came to Saul and entered his service. And Saul loved him greatly, and he became Saul's armor bearer. And Saul sent to Jesse, saying, let David remain in my service, for he's found favor in my sight. And whenever the harmful spirit from God was upon Saul, David took the lyre and played it with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well, and the harmful spirit departed from him. Now, if you weren't here for the first message in the series, there's a couple of characters you need to know. One is David. David is, I believe at this time, a couple of years after his anointing, maybe a year. So he might be a teenager, a very young teenager. And he has been anointed to be the future king of Israel. The anointing is present, but the opportunity to be the king hasn't happened yet. Saul, on the other hand, is a man who is on his way down and on his way out. He was a king that was chosen by God at the request of the people of Israel to have for themselves a king like all the pagan nations at. And so God told them, here's how your king's going to be. And he told them every sorry thing that was going to characterize the king that they were demanding. And then he gave them the king like they wished. And Saul started out for a very brief time in a great way. He had a lot of potential, but almost immediately he showed himself to be a slave to the opinions of man. He wanted the people to like him. He wanted the people to constantly approve of him. He was always concerned what people might think. That plus the fact that he had a self-willed streak in him. He liked to do thing, things Saul's way. And so those things disqualified him from being the king to the point where Samuel, the other character in this early chapters of this study, Samuel was the judge and he was given the task to go to the king and say, you have willfully rebelled against God. You have not done as the Lord has commanded you. You. Therefore, the Lord has torn the kingdom from your hand and he's given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than yourself. Now, all of this had happened and so you've got Saul on his way out and David on his way in. But in the process of this, we're gonna learn some things about how God works on your life and in your life and in my life to bring us into the fullness of what he has prepared for us. So, how many of you believe, and, and, and if you don't, that's fine, but how many of you know what this means and believe it? When I say that God is completely sovereign, do you know what that means? It just means God is fully in control. 
Now, I, I, when I first got saved, I was like, now, wait a minute, what about all the bad stuff that happens? Now, the fact that God is in control doesn't mean that he ordains or approves of everything that happens, but it does mean at the very least, if this helps you, at the very least, he allows even bad things to happen. But he is sovereign. He is in absolute full control. I would just say, if you don't agree with that, then I need to meet with you because I want you to tell me if God's not in control, who is? Because if he's not in control, that means somebody else has got some power that is higher than his, and we all know that that can't happen. So when we're going to use these, these first few verses, I want to tell you that, thank you so much, Laura. I appreciate that. It's not cold, but you know what? It's not backwash either, so get thee behind me. <laughs> Um, when, when we're looking at these first few verses, we're seeing sovereignly orchestrated events. Remember, God is making David a king, but David is not yet the king. And if David is ever going to become the king, there's only two ways that that might possibly happen. Either David's going to try to make it happen in his own power, in his own wisdom, his own strength, because bless God, he's been anointed, or he's going to wait on the Lord. And David, as a teenager in the youth group, had a lot more wisdom than a lot of us have when we get called to something. David knew how to wait on the Lord. So what does it look like? Here's what it looks like. In the first, in verses 14 and 15, we see that God, first of all, sovereignly ordains a need. What does it look like? Well, it's found in verse 14 and 15. The Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. And Saul's servant said to him, Behold, a harmful spirit from God is tormenting you. Now, what's interesting is the verse before this, verse 13 said, the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward, and immediately at the same time, the spirit of the Lord withdrew from Saul. Now, this is not an issue about Saul being saved or not saved. If you ask me, I don't believe Saul was ever born again. I believe that Saul had some religious dabblings, but Saul showed from the get-go that he was a self-willed man living for the glory of Saul. And what happened is, is that Saul also had moments, as is common in the Old Testament, where the Holy Spirit would come upon a person and empower that person for a certain deed or an action or a battle, and then the Holy Spirit was known to withdraw from that person after that battle or that need was met. And so what's happening with Saul here is he is grieved with the Holy Spirit, and the Bible says the Holy Spirit departed from him. And what's interesting is the Bible also says that a harmful spirit was sent from the Lord and given permission to torment Saul. Now, that doesn't sound like the happy, fluffy, chuckling Sunday school God that we all were taught about because that God is not an accurate picture of the God of the Bible. Listen, uh, we don't have to fear God in the sense of being phobic about God or panicky about God because we're in right relationship with him through Jesus Christ. But I'm going to tell you, the fear of the Lord is not taken away from the reality of the Christian life. In other words, when you're walking with the Lord, you don't have to operate in paranoid fear that God's going to get you. But when you live in rebellion against God, God is not above bringing out some intense means to correct you. And for Saul, this involved a withdrawing of the Holy Spirit, and then in the place of the Spirit lighting upon Saul, now a harmful spirit 
has come against Saul. This is all part of God setting up a scenario that was going to welcome David into the palace. So God sovereignly ordains the need. He sends this demonic ambassador to afflict and torment Saul because of Saul's rebellion and Saul's uh, indifference to the things of God. Then look at what God does. God sovereignly creates this opportunity in verses 16 and 17. The servants of Saul start seeing that Saul's afflicted and they say, let now our Lord command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is skillful in playing the guitar. Let's just say it that way. And when the harmful spirit from God is upon you, he'll play his guitar and you will be well. And Saul says to his servants, provide for me a man who can play well and bring him to me. So watch this. Out of, out of the uh, scenario of Saul being afflicted, one of his servants comes up with this idea, hey, if we can get somebody in here to minister to Saul via godly music, via music that carries the spirit, maybe the spirit that is moving through the music can counteract this evil spirit that is afflicting our master. So God not only ordained the need in Saul, but he ordains the opportunity that's coming through Saul's servants. Listen, there's a proverb that says, the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord and like the river of water, he turns it wherever he wants. That's a, that's a sovereignty verse. It just means this, that when God wants to accomplish something, he can literally enact in, on through servants, hum, human servants who may or may not be aware that they're being used by God in that minute. God turns their hearts to do his will. And so that's what's happening here. The servants aren't necessarily getting a prophetic word from God saying, okay, God is saying, they're just moving in normal everyday logic and reason, but the Lord is behind the scenes working all of this. And so finally, look at this. This is where I love it. God supplies the answer. So you got a need, you got an opportunity, and now God is going to sovereignly supply the answer. Look at verse 18. One of the young men, so one of the young men among the servants says, behold, we would say, hey, check it out. I have seen a son of Jesse from Bethlehem, and he is skillful in playing. He's also a courageous man of valor, and he's also a man of war. He's prudent in speech. He's a man with good presence, and the Lord is with him. So it just so happens, and if you believe in the sovereignty of God, you don't believe in coincidence. Those two things are incompatible. This is not a coincidence. It just so happens, as a human I would see it, that one of Saul's servants happens to know a son of Jesse named David who happens to be a skillful musician. Now, what they don't know is just a short time earlier, maybe a year, less than two years earlier, this boy David has been anointed the future king. But we're going to find out in a minute that he's still working with the sheep in the nasty fields. How is God going to get him into the palace? Well, God's not up there wringing his hands trying to figure it out. He says, why don't I just turn this heart this way and turn that heart that way and turn that heart that way? And soon enough, David's going to be in the palace. Let me just say this. Some of y'all are frustrated because the doors are closed. It hasn't worked out the way that you thought it would. You got to... A calling or a sense of purpose on your life you had a dream you had a vision maybe somebody gave you a prophetic word and and, and and you were reading the scriptures one day and it leapt off the page and the Holy Spirit sealed in your heart that God was going to use you for this and and yet nobody rushed to you to make it happen for you nobody kicked open the doors and created a platform for you and said go ahead and do it 
And God himself hasn't made it happen yet. Maybe it's been a year. Maybe it's been five years. Maybe it's been 20. And this is just my way of encouraging you saying this. You have no idea what God is preparing in order to make that calling of that vision happen. And I'm going to also offer you this. God is outside of time, but when he works, he works inside of time. And that means he has to work with human instruments and he has to work with getting things organized and moved around and God doesn't always just overwhelm the time factor sometimes he will just say yeah it's going to take a minute and anytime that that happens it's a test of our faith it's a test of our trust because I'm going to tell you most of us in the west are programmed to instant results we sense a calling, we know we have a calling, we have this purpose that's been granted, and we assume that it's going to happen overnight because God needs me. God needs me. He's got to get me to do this now because God really needs me. I remember early on, like within a year of being saved, I remember the Lord making it very clear to me in one of my zealous 24-year-old, 25-year-old moments where you know I just felt like the kingdom was going to collapse if God didn't release me to the nations or at least release me to the city. And I was just like, God, I've got... And I remember the Holy Spirit just speaking to me and just saying, Jeff, the kingdom got along just fine before you and it's going to get along fine when you're gone. It was very humbling, but it was actually helpful because I realized, oh, okay, God's not as stressed out about my calling as I am. So David is now being described as perfectly suited to meet the need in the palace. But God had to get Saul ready, had to get the servants ready, had to work through the orchestration of time to bring it to a moment. Notice, by the way, David's testimony had gone out before him. I don't want to gloss over this. When the time comes for us to step into our calling, it really helps if we have a solid testimony. What is David described as? He's described as, yes, skillful in playing, so he's, he's equipped to do the job. But he's a man of valor. That means he has a courageous character. How that servant knew that, I don't know. He's also described as a man of war, a guy who could fight. And so there was some aspect of David's testimony, even as a teenager, a young teenager, where he was ready to go to battle. If the Philistines came into town, David had a sling, he was ready to go. He was prudent in speech. Can I, can I just throw this out there real quick in the midst of a generation that is really casual with what comes out of their mouth? That it's, it's marked here that part of David's testimony is that what came out of his mouth was God honoring. And we're, we're living in a generation where, I mean, I don't want to harp on it or anything, but people are just kind of casual about what comes out of their mouth. Everything from vulgarity to innuendo to profanity. And I'm just saying, man, if this thing was made for praise and prayer and proclamation, we don't need to use it for things that aren't fitting under the Lord. And David had a, a prudent speech, a man of good presence, but here's the kicker. It says, and the Lord was with him. I think that's what got Saul. I think when Saul heard, oh, oh the Lord was with him, because Saul's now living in the world of, oh, the Lord used to be with me. But now the Lord's not with Saul, and so that desire to connect with God again, even if it was vicariously through David, kind of sealed the deal for Saul. So before moving on, I just I want to encourage some of you. Right now in your life, God is sovereignly orchestrating events to accomplish his ultimate purpose for you. And he doesn't always sneak up to us and say, let me tell you what I'm doing today. And then he shows up tomorrow, and let me tell you what I'm doing today. He doesn't just keep doing that. 
Sometimes he goes silent. Sometimes you don't think he's doing anything, but he has never committed to going full disclosure with you every step of the way. You know why? Because then you would be living by explanations instead of faith. And faith, when he wants to deepen us, involves sometimes the Lord going dark on us. He gets quiet. I went through a prolonged season in what I felt like was one of the worst periods of my Christian life where I felt like I I need you to speak loud and clear on the hour. And it was radio silence for a long time. And it was the most maddening season. And at times, I'll just be honest with you, I, I was very confused by what the Lord was doing. But if you will endure and you will wait and you will believe that this God who has already displayed his lavish love for you is not coming up after that display of lavish love to toy with you or to tease you or to trick you, if you'll just trust that when you cannot see him working, it doesn't mean that he's not working. And faith sometimes says, I'm going to believe in what I cannot see. And for for David, I believe that that was just almost second nature for him in the early days of his life. So let's now look at the human part, because that's the God part. When we're talking about moving towards our destiny, moving towards our assignment, our calling, our purpose, whatever you want to describe it as, there's a dozen words we could use. But there is not only the sovereign God part, but there's also a clearly human part. And this will encourage some of you that panicked when I started talking about the sovereignty of God. I don't believe in the sovereignty of God to the extent that it nullifies the responsibility of man. So yes, God is sovereign, but it is clear in scripture that most of the time, the sovereign God of heaven works in accordance with our obedience and our faith. He, re- he reserves the right to overrule. He can do whatever he wants, but the normal pattern is when he's working through one of his children, it's in proportion to our cooperation with him. We don't give God permission. Remo- let's remove that from our vo- vocabulary. I know that we sing that and we say that, but it's just theologically bad. Nobody gives God permission to do anything, okay? We can, we can welcome him to work, but we don't give him permission to work. That's just my little soapbox moment, so I'm off of it now. But when David comes into it, David's got to do some things that, that align with what God's doing. So what does that look like? Because after all, he's the new anointed king. I mean, he's the man. In his father's house, he's the low man on the totem pole, but in the dynamic of God's kingdom, he's actually carrying the most significant anointing of anybody in Israel. So what what does that look like? Well, let's find out. First of all, we're going to see the the amazing thing is David remained a faithful servant. Verse 19, Saul sent messengers to Jesse, that's David's dad, and he said to Jesse, send me David your son who's with the sheep. Don't miss that. David, the anointed king of Israel, He receives the anointing from Samuel in the presence of his father and all of his brothers, and he doesn't start strutting around. He doesn't say, where's my robe? Where's my crown? Where's my chariot? Where's my palace? Where's my servants? Where's my feast? He doesn't say any of that. As soon as Samuel leaves that anointing scene earlier in the chapter, what does David do? He goes right back to the last thing he was told to do, which is what? Low man on the totem pole, the lowest servant job in the family, which was following or leading the sheep. The dirty, nasty, not overly intelligent flock. 
and he goes right back there. I think this speaks volumes to an entitled generation. We live in a generation that is ridiculously entitled. Um, I'm old enough to see the difference now. You that are in your 60s or 70s or older, you could preach this better than I can because you even saw my generation when we were a little bit younger, we were entitled compared to your generation. The longer things stretch out, the more entitled people become. They, they think they're owed. And God help them if they got a little touch of God on them. They got a little touch of God on them. And even in the church, people are like, where's my platform? Get out of my way. I've got an anointing. I've got a calling. I've got gifts. I've got skills. I've got a YouTube channel. I, I've, I've got 10,000 followers on Twitter and Instagram. I mean, after all, I'm me, so I'm sure you're glad to have me. Now, where's my platform? And none of that was in King David or the boy David. So after he's been told that he would be king, David was content to go back and serve as a shepherd until the appointed time. Do you know how rare that is? It's rare in my heart. I mean, just I, I, I like Wednesday nights because I get to talk to you and sometimes you get to talk back. The, how many of y'all wrestle with impatience in the soul? Some of y'all are lying. Get your hands up. Come on. Yeah, there we go. We got somebody being real honest back there. I'm, I'm telling you, it's like, and especially if, if it's something good, like this is, David's not potentially going to be impatient about something bad. This is a good thing. This is God's call. This is the welfare of Israel. This is a wicked king is on the throne and David's been anointed. David could have a thousand reasons why he needed to feel like he needed to make this thing happen. Got to get Saul off the throne. He's a demonic, terrorized, disobedient guy. I've got the anointing. I'm the next king. There would be much younger kings than David that would eventually come to the throne. So it wasn't out of the question for him as a a young teenager to do it but I love this so he's a man anointed for royalty but he's happy to go work his blue collar job out in the fields no sense of pride no sense of loss no no carrying offense no looking up at God and saying hey what's the deal I've got this anointing while I'm out here with these sheep that smell so bad I mean they're just terrible I, I have to do that like once a year so so look at verse 20 because his, his servanthood just gets deeper and deeper. It's so inspiring and motivating to me. Verse 20, we see David not only being a faithful servant, but he's submissive and humble. Verse 20, Jesse, his dad, took a donkey laden with bread and a skin of wine and a young goat and sent them by David, his son, to Saul. Remember, Saul had said to Jesse, I want your boy to come up here and be my court musician. He's going to be my private musician. And so David, though he's anointed as Saul's replacement, he's going to be functioning as Saul's servant. And so he's going up there basically carrying his guitar. He's got a donkey with some food to take to the king. And he's going up there completely aware of the call of God on his life and the anointing on his life. And he's going up there and God is getting him by small measures into the palace. Don't miss that. God's advancing David, but it's not a rocket thruster. It is small steps in the right direction. And David doesn't, I mean, he just seems to be fully cooperative. But I love the fact that although he, he is carrying an anointing that Saul forfeited, David's going to go up there and he's going to serve that man. And he'd be doing it for a long time, by the way. 
So one of the revelations of what our character is is how we treat those that have nothing to offer us. That is one of the truest revelations of where we are with the Lord. That's a good groaning moment for us, by the way. It's like, ooh, like the annoying person that's slowly moving in front of you when you're trying to get your agenda accomplished. And you're just, you know, you're trying to get us. Y'all act like y'all have never done this. I mean, have, surely you've done this. Thank you, Craig. We've done this. It's like you're trying to walk, and they're walking, and they're doing this. It's almost like they've got eyes in the back of their head, and they woke up that day saying, how can I ruin Jeff's day? And, you know, you, you, you get in those moments sometimes, and, and our, our entitlement and our arrogance, and, our, and, and sometimes the, the Lord just wants to remind you, um, you, you think you're mature in the Spirit, but you're treating this child of mine this one made in my image as if he or she is insignificant. And I'm going to tell you, when, when we begin to mature is when we treat everybody with value. When, when we don't regard people according to the flesh. Now, it doesn't mean we have equal time that we can give everybody and we become, you know, a slave to everybody's demands. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the general tenor of our hearts, the, the atmosphere of our spirit that we give off. And so when David's going up there, there's a lot of things he could have done, but he just went up there to serve Saul. So it goes even a little bit further. Look in verse 21. This is what I love. David ends up being proven and promoted. We're covering months, if not a couple of years of time in these three verses. It says, David came to Saul and entered his service. David willingly made himself a servant to the man that he knew he was anointed to replace and look at what the initial response from Saul was. Saul loved him greatly. And then, boom, immediately, David's promoted. He's not just a court musician anymore. He becomes the armor bearer of Saul. Now, two things here. One, because David's still operating in a spirit of servanthood, God seems much more eager to promote him. It's, it's, the, it's upside down in the kingdom. If you exalt yourself, get ready to be humbled. And if you keep exalting yourself, get ready to keep being humbled. When you have to make it happen, when you're trying to break through the line as a, you know, a running back in the spirit, you're just going to bust through and you're going to get to your end zone, bless God. And, and that's just not the way God operates in the spirit. God says, hey, if, if you actually want to be awesome in the kingdom, if you want to be great, Learn to serve better than anybody. Be the servant of all. And that's why God is, says in a couple of different places, says it through Peter, says it through James, that if we'll humble ourselves under the hand of God, he will exalt us at the proper time. So everybody, there's something within us. We want to advance. We want to succeed. We, we, and it looks different for, other, for different people, but the reality is nobody wakes up and says, man, I really want to remain a loser all of my days. I want to master the art of losing all of... No, we all want to win. And what we want to win looks different, but we, we all prefer winning over losing. And what the Lord says is in the kingdom, if you want to experience greatness in the kingdom, if you want to enter into what I have ordained for you, then you have to retain the posture of a servant. And David did that, and so what happened? David is no longer the dude playing guitar for Saul. He, he continues to do that, but he's almost immediately promoted to an armor bearer. Now, a, a court musician, and especially in David's case, David was on demand. 
In other words, David's not really doing much until that wicked spirit hits Saul. Then David would have been summoned by some of the servants. David comes in and he starts doing worship to an audience of one. And that evil spirit leaves Saul and David's work is done for the day and he goes back. So David wasn't in Saul's presence all the time as a musician, but there was something that God was doing through David in Saul where Saul says, I, I want this kid around me all the time. Matter of fact, make him one of my armor bearers. And armor bearers were close to the king at all times. And David would have been, at, at a very young age, begin to learn how things are done in the court of the king. He would have begun to learn how royal military strategy happens when the Philistines come up to attack. David is getting an education just by being in proximity to King Saul. Why am I telling you that? Because friends, listen, we have to be faithful in every stage and season that we're in because God wants to point it towards the next season. And if we treat the lesser opportunity as if it was the greatest opportunity, then we will be promoted to greater opportunities. That's almost invariably the way it works in the kingdom. But if we don't like the lesser opportunities and we're just kind of kicking around and we, you know, we're, we're showing up, we're half-hearted and, and we're just operating buying time because we're waiting on our promotion. I'm getting elevated. I got a word over my life. I'm getting elevated sometimes. You're not getting elevated anywhere by God if your attitude is that of not making much of the little opportunities. Because if God gives you an opportunity, it's not little. It's holy. It's important. There's something there that God sees value in and he's entrusted to you. So we need to try to knock it out of the park at every single level that we find ourselves in and wait on the Lord to promote us. And so this is what's happening in David's life. He's a blue-collar, young, unpaid shepherd boy, the low man on the totem pole in his family, but he does it with all his heart. And then God gets him into the king's palace to be the king's personal musician to drive away demonic spirits. By the way, quick side note there. Worship's important. Worship is warfare. Music has a vital role. It's not something we do to fill in gaps and get a good vibe. Listen, worship must be approached with intensity, knowing that God can use it to drive the demonic spirits out of a place and to invite the Holy Spirit to rest. And David is probably one of the first examples in Scripture where we see that come to pass. And then David, because he was faithful in that, and God just kept exalting David, now David's the, one of the armor bearers of the king. Do you see how it works? So where are you today? What's he given you to do? It, it, it may not be in the presence of a king. Most of, none of us in here are serving kings. And, and except in the spiritual essence that when we serve one another and we serve the least of these, we're serving the king. And so we've got to start being aware of that and treating every opportunity. When we make uh, opportunities for service known in this house, whether it's in the prayer room, whether it's in children's ministry, whether it's in greeting, ushering, finance, wherever it might be, and there should be no reason in a community of believers where every opportunity and need is not met. No reason whatsoever. And so my question would be to all of us as believers, what is he asking you to do? What is he offering you to do? Say, so, I don't know, Jeff. Well, when you can't do the good that you would do, do the good that you can do. Don't over-spiritualize and say, I'm just, I'm just waiting for the Lord to show me what to do. You were saying that last year. 
And meanwhile, a hundred different opportunities and needs have been made, and you're still waiting on a sign and a wonder to make it clear to you. And so, friends, we, we just, again, God's sovereign, supernatural, but we're, we're to respond to what he's doing, and David did that, and it's working out good for him. All right, so we're going to get down to the last couple of verses. Saul is now loving David greatly. That does not last long, because very soon that wicked spirit is going to get in Saul and never leave him. And he's going to go on a murderous 15-year quest to kill David. For this time, David is serving Saul with uh, humility and faithfulness. So we get down to the last couple of verses. This is where we discern what I call a clearly observed anointing on David's life. And this is what we all have available to us. God, first of all, gives David favor. So Saul, now that David has been graduated, Saul sends word back to David's daddy and says, let David remain with me. Let David remain in my service, for he has found favor in my sight. How many of y'all are familiar, especially in the last 10 years, with the, the increase of the use of the word favor? Y'all, have y'all followed that? Do, do, you, do you know what it means? It means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Some people have a little bit of a, a super, superficial, non-biblical view of it, and they just equate favor with, you know, getting stuff and having breakthrough all the time and no obstacles. And that, can, that can be a part of it. I don't want to throw stones at that. But ultimately, it is God who gives us favor with people. If we have favor with God, he will give us favor with people. And there are times where we should boldly go before the throne of grace when we know that there's a person that has say-so in what's happening in our life. There are times where you can fast and pray and say, God, I need favor with this person. Uh, Whether it be your boss, whether it be a family member, maybe it's an opponent, uh, we were, I was, spent some time with a young man today, and he was talking about somebody in his family that he needed favor with, that there was something, there was some, a little bit of fast and pray that God would do that heart-turning sovereign work and give him favor with this member of his family. And he said he did that for about a week. He was fasting and praying during a week, and he, all of a sudden he gets a call, and this family member is on the other end of the phone saying, I've been thinking about everything we've been talking about. I want you to know I clearly see now what you've been trying to say to me. Now, friends, that is nothing short than God giving somebody favor with another person. And here's the thing. Why is this important? Well, because sometimes when we are opposed or we are stuck or we are delayed or the doors seem shut, um, we can start making people bigger than God. God seems small, people seem big. And we can literally get into a place where we can enter into a perpetual defeat in our mind saying, well, nothing's going to happen because she's in my way. Nothing's going to happen because this guy has got it, he's, he's, he's got it out for me. And all of a sudden, people look like Goliath and God looks like David instead of God looking like uh, Well, that doesn't work. But instead of God being big and people being small. And so what what does that mean? It means this, that God's inviting you when you've got opposition, when you've got a closed door, when you've got an obstacle, when you've got a Saul 
sitting on the throne that God's anointed you for, you got to go to war for it. And you say, Lord, I don't want to do this in the flesh. I don't want to quit in the flesh, and I don't want to fight in the flesh. So God, you're bigger than my obstacle. You're bigger than the no that is hanging in front of me. You're bigger than my intimidating force that's overshadowing me. You're bigger than all of that. So Lord, I'm not going to operate my flesh. I'm not going to try to quit in the flesh or fight in the flesh. I'm going to sit here, and I'm going to wait on you to give me favor. I'm going to wait on you, Lord. And Father, if you're not in a hurry, then I pray you will adjust and acclimate my internal clock to your internal clock because I don't want to do this without you. And such a temptation, folks. Listen, the life of David is going to repeatedly get where we live because David is a man that everybody in the room can identify with, especially every saved person in the room because he's far from perfect. But there's something in his heart that always craved to stay aligned with God. He couldn't be happy when he was not aligned with God. And he always wanted to be realigned with God. And he struggled and he messed up and he sinned. Yes, I get all of that. But remember, God declared from the beginning that David was a man after his own heart. And part of it was this. He, he refused to give up and he knew how to wait. It's amazing to me that David waited better when he was younger than when he was older. It tends to be reversed for, for modern times. It tends to be that the younger are more impatient and we get a little more seasoned. But David, it was the opposite. And so Saul, who is now loving what he sees in David, says, Jesse, leave your boy with me. You're going to have to find somebody else to watch the sheep. David's going to hang with me. And that's favor. David's in the palace. He's there. He's in the midst of royalty that is connected to his destiny, but it still hasn't fully happened yet, but small measures towards great treasure. And then verse 23, we're going to see that now David's spiritual power starts being manifest. Whenever the harmful spirit from God was upon Saul, David took the guitar, the lyre, and played it with his hands. So remember, there's human opposition there's circumstantial difficulty but there's also demonic warfare and all of this is characterized in this teenager named David who just wants to see God's glory in Israel and so yes if if Saul needed him to be the armor bearer David would carry the shield but if Saul was being tormented by the demon David would put down the shield and the sword he'd go grab his guitar and he'd start worshiping Yahweh in the presence of Saul and just as it still is today demons hate authentic worship so they leave they, they, they just leave there are times where I can't preach there are times where I don't even know what to pray and in those moments where I, I sense the darkness and the oppression of the enemy and the warfare of demons and I don't have any strength of my own I will say uh, Siri play me some Bethel play me Bethel play me some Bethel music and I'll just sit there and I'll just wait and as that music starts cleansing and working its way in me and I start praising and singing huh surprise surprise within a matter of 15 to 30 minutes the darkness is gone what do you think happens there that's because the devil hates more than anything the praise that goes to God he hates it when God is glorified and so David comes with this power but his power at this point is not military it's spiritual power it's the power of a worshiper a worshiper 
who on the outside, as everybody can see, he's got really very little to offer, offer except some musical skill. But on the inside, David hasn't told a soul. David knows I'm actually under an anointing that is greater than everybody's in the room, but I don't have to talk about it. I don't have to mention it. I'm just wanting to stay aligned with the Lord, so I'm not going to walk in pride. And if I'm going to serve, I'm going to serve. Give me the guitar and let's, let's, let's tell the devil to go to hell, literally. Y'all relax. I mean it literally. I'm going to worship God and the devil can go back to hell. Go there where you belong. And so David does that. I like this because this is what you start seeing in David's life. Um, we'll find out next chapter. David fought lions and he won. David fought bears, and he won. David fought demons, and he won. There's something about abiding under the anointing that you have, and that anointing, we're going to have to take time and really talk about what does it mean to be anointing. I'm just talking about the touch of God on your life, the presence of God on your life. And sometimes an anointing is very specific. It's for a specific season, for a specific pur pur purpose, and it's attached to a specific gift. But ultimately, there's no such thing as an anointing that's independent from the presence of God in our life. As your intimacy goes, so goes your anointing. And if we lose intimacy with the Lord, we can still have our gifts because the gifts and callings of God are without repentance, but you can't have an anointed gift. It's like having an awesome piece of machinery. You've got the machinery, but it's not going to run right without the oil. And so we want both, and David had both. And so David shows up with a guitar. Eventually, the demons just see him coming and say, okay, our day's done, let's just go. And Saul gets freed up momentarily. And then verse 23 at the end of it, this, I mean, this, here's the results. Saul was refreshed and was well, and the harmful spirit departed from him. Um, we are not in complete control with the fruit that manifests in our life. I want to encourage some of you right here because some of you plant hard and you, you till the ground and you, you sow the seed and you water it and you give your back and your energy and your spiritual spine and your, your everything within you and you pour it out, and you're doing everything you can, and as far as the eye can see, you're not seeing the results that you, you've always envisioned. Um, we are not in full control of, of the fruit, the level of fruit that is brought forth. Paul said, um, one plants, one waters, but God gives the increase. And so ultimately, we have to come to a place where we refuse to compare our basket of fruit with anybody else's basket of fruit. Because that that's, that's spiritual suicide. Because you're looking over here, and God gave the increase tenfold to that person, and you're not all that impressed with that person. You're like, why she got tenfold? What's she doing that I'm not doing? What? And why's he got twentyfold over here? And I know that dude doesn't have, he's not sold out like I'm. And, and you can get into this comparison thing. And ultimately, this is what God calls us to be. He doesn't call us to be famous, flamboyant, flashy. He doesn't even primarily call us to be fruitful. He calls us to be faithful. 
because that's something all of us can do. Everybody in the room can be faithful. That's all this message is about. Like, this isn't a whoa message. This isn't, oh, let me out of here. I'm going to go, you know, save the world. It's not one of those messages. It's a message to get our minds and our hearts and to recalibrate us, to get us to that place where we're not distracted by the fruit over here or the fruit over here. So it's, it's very easy to be driven by results. Don't do that. Don't do that. Paul said this to Timothy. He said, some people's sins are open beforehand, going beforehand. He says, and some people's fruit, some people's righteousness and rewards are the same. Sometimes we see all the fruit ahead of time, but sometimes we don't see it until the very end. And so when we're thinking about our lives, our ministries, our destinies, our callings, here's all I'm asking every single person in the room. Will you continue to be faithful no matter what you see? And when you don't see it and the hunger to see it longs, will you let that propel you not to a place of giving up, but to a place of digging in, saying, God, I want to keep doing this and I'm going to keep doing this. Lord, I believe I have a calling. I've got a purpose. I've got, a, I've got an anointing on my life. But Lord, the platform's not built. The doors aren't open. The people are, are not making it happen. But God, I know that you've given me this to do in the meantime. I'm going to be faithful because if this is what you've given me, if my appointing is beneath my anointing, then I'm going to do my appointing as if it were my anointing. I'm going to give it my best at this level, Lord, because that's the level that you've given me to steward right now. And friends, I want to promise you something. The fruit will come. Sometimes it comes after a drought. Sometimes there's not anything. But if you endure and do not faint in your hearts, as the King James says it, if you don't grow weary in well-doing, you will reap. When? In due season, if you do not faint. That's what the scriptures teach us. So I'm going to ask us to stand to our feet tonight.